tip. If you cannot be faithful over that, which is another man's, it says, then how can you expect the Lord to entrust to you your own? In other words, he said, if you can't be disciplined over something that's not even yours, how are you going to take care of something that is yours when you have liberty to do what you want to with it? And so this word discipline is defined as the practice of training to obey rules or codes in one's behavior. I'll say it again. It is the practice or the training to obey rules or codes of one's behavior. So literally discipline is about training myself to behave in a manner regardless to what's happening to me externally. It, 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 it's about doing something so many times repetitively that it becomes muscle memory. And I, I thought about the, the, when, when, when Taylor was playing, was playing ball, that there got to be a time in her senior year that people kind of knew what to expect. So they wouldn't throw double teams at her. They would throw triple teams at her. And the goal was to do whatever they needed to do to stop her from getting the ball so the, the other four people would have to score. And she got really frustrated. And I remember Coach Early talking to her one time. And he said to her, he said, you don't even need to know where the hoop is because it doesn't move. He says it's in the same spot every time, T. He said, so if it's three of them, you just get the ball and let your mind shoot the ball where the goal is. Yeah. And literally, she got to the place where her muscle memory was such that it didn't matter where she caught the ball, whether it was on the low block, whether it was at the top of the key, whether she was on the wing. The way she shot the shot was the same way every time if it was nobody on her, if it was one person on her, if it was two people on her, or if it was three people on her. And when you become disciplined in your life, I don't care what the devil throws at you, he can't stop you. And that's what, that's what discipline looks like. Discipline says it's not about external factors. Discipline is the idea that I train and govern myself to do a certain thing and that I do that thing regardless of what anybody else says, regardless how anybody else responds. The definition goes on to say this. It is, uh, it is considered to be discipline. Is another word for discipline is teaching. It's instruction. It is regulation, direction, order, and authority. In all of those words, give us this image of control. Discipline is about control. And the truth of the matter is, is that many times people don't become disciplined because the, it's not that discipline is hard, it's unlearning past discipline. Let me, let me help you. If you, do you know it takes discipline to eat bad? You, you didn't eat bad just one day. You've been, you've been practicing that bad discipline. So now when someone tries to take you from one discipline to another discipline, it's not that the discipline is hard. It's, it's getting from here to here and unlearning this discipline. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor. Discipline comes naturally. Discipline is actually a natural thing. 
What happens, though, is because we live in a world full of sin, we encounter a lot of wrong discipline before we encounter the right kind of discipline. Do you understand how much discipline it takes to watch eight hours of television a day? It takes a lot of discipline to do that in order to sit down in a chair and to, and, to, and to make your body not move and to sit there and watch television and be non-productive and don't think about your life and don't think about the world and you just go on and on and on. You, it takes you time because you, when you first started, you was watching 30 minutes. Then it became an hour. Do you know that in 1972, I looked it up, there were almost no one-hour shows? That is the reason it was so epic when Roots came out, because it was one of the first miniseries ever to be on television, because nobody sat that long and watched something. But over time, we become disciplined. We become disciplined. You go to the movie now, and that movie lasts 90 minutes, you hot. They stole my money. This little short movie. Why? Because you come to expect a minimum of two hours. They have disciplined you to sit. They have disciplined your body functions to not get up and go to the bathroom so that you don't miss something. You become disciplined. But if I preach 45 minutes, you get antsy. <laughs> you can discipline yourself to do anything. That's why I tell people all the time, when there are certain things in your life that you want to get accomplished, I say it all the time, you can do anything for a little while. You can do anything. People used to ask me, oh my God, I can't believe you drive an hour and 45 minutes to work one way and back every single day. Listen, you can do anything for a little while. There was a goal behind it. And if you get a goal, you get a big enough why, you can discipline yourself to do anything. Okay, so a big enough why. Two weeks ago, I said to you, there are three things that we understand that people do not like to talk about in church. What are those three things? Politics, money, and sex. We ain't talking about politics, and we ain't talking about sex today. So we're going to talk about money. Now, I ain't going to talk to you about money like surgery talks to you about money. I'm not going to talk to you about like what you should invest in. I'm not going to talk to you about how much you should do with it. I'm not, that, that's, when I say I'm anointed to teach you about money, I'm anointed to teach you about the spirit that controls money. Because here's what you need to know about money. Money is neutral. It really is. In science, if you take an object and you take some, uh, something that's, that has a positive ion and you rub it against that neutral thing, that neutral thing becomes positive. Well, the same thing is true if you take something that is neutral and you take uh, something that's got a negative ion and you rub it across it, it becomes negatively charged. Your money is only charged based on how you are. So if your money is funny acting, it's because in your soul, you funny acting about your money. Now, now, now that's just the truth. Here's what you need to understand. I'm going to talk today, and I don't even know how I'm going to get through this, but we're going to talk about it. Here's the thing. When you trust God, trusting God doesn't make you dependent. Trusting God actually makes you self-sufficient. Now, 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 you have to write that down and think about it because you say, oh, Pastor, I don't know about that if you believe in God. Listen, when you trust God, trusting God makes you self-sufficient. Why? Because Christ said that it was in his sufficiency that we find our self-sufficiency. So he says this. He says, oh, no man, nothing what? 
He says, oh, that word oh is the word debt. He says, don't be indebted to anybody but who? Me. Because if you're indebted to me, me and you are the same, so therefore you're not in debt because you're self-sufficient because we're one and the same. It's like if I took water in this, if I, if I got water in this glass and water from this glass and I mixed them together, they're both still just water. He says, understand that when you put all of your trust in me, that is the most self-sufficient you can become. He said, the problem is, is that people haven't learned to be sufficient in me. And if you become sufficient in another person, then it doesn't make you self-sufficient. It makes you become dependent. Because, it, because God, tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, God has no shortage. So if God has no shortage and you're in God, guess what? You have no shortage. But if you put your dependency on another man, another woman, the son of man, if you put your dependency on them, you can only go as far as they will allow you to go. And so that was what he was talking about in Luke 16. Now, Luke chapter 16, when you're beginning to read the Bible, you have to understand, you have to read the Bible in context. You can't take the Bible and read it and just make it say something else you want to say. The reality of it is, I don't care how you mix it, how you dice it, how you try to serve it up. In Luke chapter 16, he's talking about money. That's what he's talking. He's talking to a steward. A steward's job is to steward over Money. He's talking about money. And we read it last week in the first part of that, that, that Luke 16. What you find out is you find this steward. And the steward is basically like, you know, he's been working for this rich man. And the rich man says to him, hey, I need an accounting of all my money. Well, the rich man knew he had, the, the steward knew he hadn't been doing right by the rich man. And so the Bible goes on to say that basically what the, what the steward did is he says, you know what? I know how this world system works. Money can be a friend or money can be an enemy. He said, I got to use this money in this system so it can become a friend of mine. And the Bible says that he went to all the people who owed the rich man money and said, hey, how much you owe? He said, I owe 100. He said, hey, write down 60. He said, how much you owe? I owe 50. He said, write down 25. He said, how much you owe? Whatever it was, he said, I'm going to cut it in half. I'm going to do a deal. He said, so that way, when the rich man fired me, because I'm going to get fired. It wasn't a question of whether he was going to get fired. He knew immediately when he asked for an accounting. Here's the thing. Sometimes the Lord can just ask you a question. How have you dealt with my money? Come on. Come on. Now, 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 the Lord don't fire you, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But the rich man, he was going to fire that dude. So the dude says, well, let me, let me, let me do something so, I can, I, so I, I can have a place to stay. He said, I'm too proud to beg, and I can't be out there digging ditches. And so the Bible says that he got to the guy, and when he got to him, he, the, 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 you would think that the Lord, small L, would have went off on the dude for how he behaved about his money. But he didn't. He said to him, he said, you know what? It is a shame that the children of this generation is wiser in their pursuits of how they deal with money than the children of God. In, in other words, here's what he said. At least you understand how to work the system. He said, now, I'm still going to fire you. <laughs> Let's be clear. But at least now you have made a way so that you're not starving when, you out, when you're out there. Yeah. Some of us do not use the system God has made available for us to prosper. And we don't do it, watch this, not because we don't have the money. I don't ever fall into the pattern that somebody says, I don't have the money to tie. You mean you haven't disciplined yourself to do it. Now, that's the truth. You haven't disciplined yourself to do it because the truth of the matter is if you make a decision to tithe, you can get rid of everything that's not a necessity in order to do it. Oh, it's possible to do it. Don't tell me you can't tithe. You got an iPhone watch. Don't tell me you can't tithe. You got a brand new phone. 
Don't tell me you can't tithe and you was on vacation two weeks ago. Don't tell me you can't tithe and you at Ruth Chris. Don't tell Just say I haven't disciplined myself to be committed to God to do that. Now, now, now this is important because people, people hear this, they go, oh, well, he's trying to get my money. No, the reality is I'm trying to get more money into your hand. Because think about this. I, told, I was speaking to a pastor the other day and I said this. I said, it makes more sense that a pastor would want to get more money into the people's hands instead of out of their hand. Because the more money in their hand, the more you can actually get, if that's the theory. I said, so, so nobody wants to take somebody who's poor and keep them poor. If, you, if you're going to be a good charlatan, what you want to do is you want to make sure that folk in your church got a lot of money. I said, that don't even make no sense. So the truth of the matter is, I don't desire a gift from you. I desire a gift for you. And the gift for you is that whole thing Pastor Sean was talking about when she talked about those facets of the anointing, the spirit of wisdom. You got to get beyond your college education thinking and think you can outthink God. Do you know why? I'm telling you, I believe this with everything in my heart. Some of the reason that some of the older people in our, who in our, who in our past generation saw so many things happen for them is because they weren't as smart as you are. They, they, they didn't matriculate from the universities you matriculated from, and all they know how to do was to take God at his word. But now you got to have a thesis and a dissertation about whether or not this is true. Now you, can, now you can match up Greek and Hebrew. You don't understand none of it, but you can match it up, and so now you think you know what the Lord said. The problem is, is that sometimes you're trying to be too smart. You ought to just obey God. It's so hard to get people to understand that because literally you got a nickel over a dime and now you got a nickel over a dime. Now you got to try to figure out whether or not you can do what God told you to do. But when you didn't have nothing, you was obeying God with everything you got. You know who worship like nobody's worship? Broke folks. Now, now here's the problem. It shouldn't just be that. It should Folk who ain't got no money, they going through, they don't know what's going to happen next week. They in here laying prostrate before the Lord. Hands lifted. I mean, they bellowing out every, every, every cell. They hitting every cord. Why? Because you want the Lord to respond to you. And I'm saying to you that you don't have to be in a destitute situation in order to do what you're supposed to do. You can discipline yourself. You can say, I don't care what's happened on this week. I don't care what happened before I walked in here. When I hit them double doors, my attention is on the Lord. I don't now, even if it ain't but for an hour, I can discipline myself to do it. You can look at your life and see where you're undisciplined. Do you get to work late? Do you have a reputation if you tell somebody you're gonna come by, they know you're gonna be 30 minutes late. Do you have a reputation if you tell somebody that you're going to do something for them, they like, cool, but they already got a plan B? <laughs> because you have demonstrated that you might come through, but you might not show up. Do you call and get four babysitters? Because the, one, the first one you call, you're not sure if they're going to come through? You got to ask yourself, what kind of person am I? And this he was talking about character. Discipline goes back to your character. Pastor Sean and I have these conversations with people all the time. I know it's saying about money, but it goes along, so just bear with me. 
We have these conversations with people all the time about whether or not uh, a male should have a, a married couple should have the woman should have a male friend or 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 the, or the male should have a female friend, and and we've always been on the same page about this. She had friends before I met her who were men. I had friends who were women before I met her. And her telling me not to have a female friend and me telling her not to have a male friend ain't got nothing to do if we're undisciplined. We're going to do whatever we wanted to do anyway. And the truth of the matter is, if you try to live a marriage like that, you just live it in bondage. She's going to travel all over the world. She's not supposed to talk to men. She, and, and why she gone? I can't speak to a woman. Are you out of your mind? That's undisciplined. If you want to be disciplined, what you say is talk to many men as you want to. Discipline yourself. That, that's what discipline looks like. Discipline doesn't look like, oh, don't you talk to nobody. That's not discipline. And so if we're going to learn to be disciplined, we got to stop thinking the way the world sees things and start thinking the way God sees things. Listen, the Lord didn't tell. Notice this. The Lord gave Adam and Eve an instruction. What was the instruction that was in the garden? He says, do not eat from the tree of knowledge, right? Don't, don't eat from that tree. He didn't say don't talk to the serpent. Now, now, if he, now, if he didn't trust him, if he didn't want to deal with it, he said, when you, see that, when you see the serpent, don't you talk to him. He didn't say that. The discipline was what you don't put in your mouth. He said, don't you eat the fruit. I don't care what the enemy says. I don't care how he shows up. I don't care what he looks like. I don't care how beautiful he is. The discipline is don't you do X. That's the discipline. The discipline in his marriage is that you don't cheat, not that you don't talk to somebody of the opposite sex. That's not the discipline. And so the truth of the matter is, is we as people, as Christians, we got to learn to be disciplined. Yeah. Amen. So, so I'm, I'm going I'm to skip down. I want to go to, I believe it's verse. Uh, let me let me see. I think it, I believe it's verse 10. Let me see if I can find it here. Yeah, let's go to. Um, mm, yeah, so I, just, I go to verse 10. So if Kevin, you can pull up Luke 1610, uh, we'll start there. I'm just going to read this real quick because this is going to be the basis for everything else I'm going to share after this. It says, he that is faithful. That, another, word for fa- another word for faithful is disciplined. Amen. He that is disciplined and that which is least is disciplined also in much. And he who is unjust or undisciplined in that which is least is unjust also in much. Now, now I like this because this is Jesus talking, and notice what he called money. He called money the least. He called of, of all the things he could have picked, he called money the least. Because this, this, this context of the scripture is about money. He says, He that is faithful in that which is least, he's gonna be faithful when I give him something more valuable. He said, but he that is undisciplined or unfaithful in that which is least, he ain't going to be, be able to handle anything. He then says, he says, if therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, and we said mammon was not money. Mammon, was not money. mammon is, a, is a spirit that sometimes and most oftentimes attaches itself to money. 
Why does it do that? The Bible says it very, very plainly. It says, wherever your treasure is, there will your be also. I was thinking about this as I was preparing for this week. Do you know that is such a true statement, even if you get away from money? And I was like, okay, Lord, what's an example of that? He said, I'll give you a prime example. He said, you take somebody who is madly in love with someone, and everybody else can see that that person they're madly in love with treats them like crap. That they're, that they're no good for them. You can talk to that person as much as you want to. You can say whatever. You can throw hints. You can show them text messages. You can show It don't matter what you do. If they have invested their treasure there, it's impossible for their heart not to be there. And nobody's going to leave their heart in a place. Nobody. The only way you get, the only way you left the world is you took your heart and gave it to God. And then as a result, you went to where your heart was. You're going to always follow your heart. And so you can take a person, you can tell them this person ain't good for you. They're doing this, they're doing this, they're doing that. And until that person snatches their heart back, they will be with that person forever. Because it's true, wherever your treasure is, there's your heart also. So the truth of the matter, if you put your, if, if money becomes your treasure, and the truth is, we don't have to lie to ourselves for most of this, money is our treasure. And there's nothing wrong with money being our treasure, it just can't be your most important treasure. And the problem is, is that many times when we, when we, when we, we only have, we, we really only have one heart. And because we only have one heart, if you make money your treasure, your heart's going to be there. Now, you can, people say all the time, Pastor Rick, you love money. I love money. I'm in love with God. Yeah. Don't get it twisted. God's number one. Money's above whatever's number two. But I love, I, I, I'm in love with God. <laughs> now, she wasn't here, now, she wasn't here two weeks ago, but I said, I said the same thing. Now, let me, let, me, let, me, let me explain why I say that. Let me explain. Let me explain why I said it. because I knew she because she wasn't here two weeks ago when I said it. But if, but if, but if, but if I said it but if I said it two weeks ago I said it again. Now let me tell you why. I'm in love with God. I love money. I put money in second place. Why? Here's the reason. Because I needed to take care of her. Now, now, now what? No, no, no. But watch this. That that is the reason. Watch this. In 23 years, every time you ask me what job do I want, what do I always say? I I don't care what it is. I don't really care. I, if, if I could dig a ditch and it paid enough money to do the things we want to do, I'm cool with digging a ditch. But if I got to get on the plane, I got to go to Virginia, I got to go to Florida, and I got to go to North Carolina, if it takes care of my family, I'm good to do it. I'm in love with God. I love money. Money says money answers all things. What does it answer? Everything my family needs. Now, I, now, be, now because I have those two things in the right place, I'm never going to pursue money when God told me to do something else. So if I get an opportunity to go get money, but God says, no, you need to stay here with your family, then I'm going to follow God because I'm in love with God. I just happen to love money. And the Bible doesn't say anything about money being wrong. It says a wrong relationship with money is the root of that evil thing. All right? Yeah. Now, that, now that's that, that, that as, as they used to say, now that's Bible. I'm not cleaning it up. It's been my stance forever. It's been my position. It's where I live. You know that. It says, if, if therefore, 
You have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon. He said, who's going to commit to you your own? He said, if you've not been faithful in that which is another man's, who's going to give you that which is your own? Then he says this, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve God and mammon. He doesn't say money. He says, you cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and mammon. Why God and mammon? Both are spirits. He says, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in. He says, you cannot worship God, who is a spirit, and at the same time worship mammon, which is a spirit. He says, so you've got to choose. He said, because whichever one you love the most, that's the one you're going to cleave to. He says, and not only that, you're not just going to be cool with the other. He said, you're going to hate the other one. And here's the reason why. They're diametrically opposed to one another. The spirit of mammon seeks to control you. God wants to be in love with you. Those are two totally different things. Nobody wants to be, they may seem like the same thing, but nobody wants to be in a controlling relationship. People talk, you know, you got, you got the crazy dude who don't want his girlfriend to go nowhere and don't want her to talk to nobody and don't want her to see nobody. And then he said, I, I love you. You controlling, dude. And control is not love. Mammon doesn't love you. Mammon seeks to control you. Mammon wants you to obey it at every turn. And that's why mammon is not subject to just sticking itself to money. It'll take itself to anything. Mammon will say, hey, you know what? You should be doing X when God has said do something else. And if you're not careful and you find yourself doing X, you have fallen into being led away by the spirit of mammon. Amen? It says, and then it says, it says you cannot serve God and mammon. It says, and the covetous Pharisees deride him. Uh, they laughed at him. They scorned him. They was laughing at Jesus because he was talking to them. Uh, they only saw it in a physical sense. They, only, they saw it as money, they, and, and, and they had money. So they was like, you telling people they can't serve God and they can't have money. Ha, 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 ha. That is not what we're saying at all. In fact, you know, here's what gets me about even about people on TV. There will be people on TV who will get on TV, and they will bash what they call prosperity preachers. They'll talk bad about them. Call them hairlicks and charlatans and all this stuff. But you know what happened at the end of their broadcast if you, if you stick around? I mean, I mean, I mean, no matter how bad they talk about Creflo and, and TDJ, I mean, the Joel Osteen, and they, they talk bad about them. But if you just hang around to the 22-minute mark. Yes, sir. Now, we appreciate your faithful support. Yes, sir. You can send it in to P.O. Box 888-135 in Colorado City, California. We thank you so very much for your support. Because if we didn't have your support, we can't stay on TV. Exactly. Exactly. If you don't get money, you can't stay on TV. So you're talking about somebody else because they happen to be getting more of it than you getting. But, but not because you despise it. So the spirit of mammon is even designed to get people to not give their money to a place God has ordained them, but to give it to another place. Now think about that. You're still giving your money. I've never understood how people can be against uh, what they call prosperity ministries, but at the same time, the only reason your ministry exists is because somebody gave to you. The only reason you're on TV, because they ain't giving you free TV time. That's why you ask for it. The reality of it is, is that money is just neutral. You and I determine what effect it has. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor. Money, money is just a tool. Just a tool. 
All right, so when we study the issue of money and how it relates to trust, we cannot ignore the presence of mammon. Mammon is not the same thing as money. We said that two weeks ago. Mammon is an evil spirit that is never far away from money, but its job is to tempt us to trust it rather than trusting God. Take your neighbor and say, no matter what, I'm choosing to trust God. And whatever spirit influences us, whether it be God or mammon, that spirit will eventually rub off on our money. The way you think about money right now has everything to do with who's controlling you. Whether it's God or whether it's mammon. The Bible says it like this. There is either life or death. That's what it is. There is no in-between. There is life or death. There is God. There is mammon. And the way you respond about your money is being dictated by who controls you in that area. Who controls you in that area? It is the reason when it is grievous, and I don't just mean to church, but if you find it hard to be the kind of person who helps people in general, you're you're controlled by mammon. Mammon makes you think there's shortage. Now, I'm not saying every time you see somebody on the street asking for money, you got to give it to them, but you ought to be open, though. Because you never know who the Holy Spirit's going to tell you to give to. And here's the thing. When you give, you can't be the kind of person who gives and then you spend the next four or five hours thinking about how you gave and it's gone. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, when it comes to money and God, the money may leave your hand, but never your life. And you got to know that. You got to know that it, it may leave your hand, but never your, it, it'll never leave your life. I can't explain to you how my giving has dictated where we live today. I'm telling you, if you ask Pastor Sean, she would tell you the exact same thing. My 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 the way I deal with money it's, it's the reason that I can't go to a financial planner. I don't care how astute they are. If I have a conversation with them and they try to convince me that I could take 10% that I'm giving to the church and my other 5 or 10% that I give to the offering and they try to convince me that I could make good money by sticking it somewhere other than where I have it, I don't care how good. Bill Gates and Warren Buffett together couldn't convince me. And the problem is, is that other, you let people convince you to do something in a different way. But here's the thing. They're not, they never said they were following God's way. But if you say you follow God's way, then you don't get the right to decide you're going to do it somebody else's way and still want God to bless you. Now, you got a choice to do it. But that's the reason why when I talk to financial planners, the first thing I one of the first things I want to know is, are you a tither? If you tell me no, well, it's great, but you're not the financial planner I want. Not for me, maybe for you. Not for me, because what? Because if you don't, if you have it, if you, I have a way I'm trying to do it. I have a way I'm trying to do it. Not just, I'm not just trying to get there. I got a way I'm trying to get there. Because the Bible says that the path to destruction is wide. It's a wide path to, but 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 to godliness is a narrow path. So there's a way I'm trying to do it. So if you're trying to tell me that the way to do it is not to do it what, what I believe God has told me to do, you cool, but I can't follow your instruction. Discipline. Discipline says, I trust God enough to put all my weight on him. Here's, here's, here's how you know that it's not about what you give. It's the discipline in which you do it. The Bible says that there came a time when Jesus was watching people giving the offering. 
And I know that when he was watching people giving an offering, there must have been people who gave a lot of money because the Bible talks about how something caught his attention, but it wasn't how much, it wasn't the amount that somebody gave. The Bible says that what caught his attention was the might that the widow gave. And I always used to wonder, why did that catch his attention? You know, I was like, did he catch his attention because he was so small? He's like, why are you putting that in there? That wasn't the reason. The reason he did it was because he was like, whoa, she gave her last. She's putting all her trust and weight on me. When you, and, and, and here's when people, when people hear that, they go, well, pastor, you asked me to give everything? I ain't asking you to give everything. I'm asking you to give what God told you to give. That is a very different statement than telling somebody to give your all. Now, has there been times that the Lord asked us to give our all? Yes, but that was us. But I realized he won't ask everybody to do that. Some of you are not open enough to do that. But when he asked us to do it, it was because he was trying to take us someplace. He was trying to get us someplace. I was riding my bike the other day, and I rode by this house. Did, did, did we, when we were, I don't know, 24 years old, we had Taylor. We had Taylor. It, it was a house, and we wanted that house. And here's the thing. At the time, and I, I remember the price, that, that house was $186,000. That could have been $186 million to us. And I remember that we, we, we used to go, because they, they, for whatever reason, they didn't lock the door, so we would go and walk around in that house. I mean, just walk around like, Bill, we could be here. Do you realize if God had allowed us to get that house then, we would have outgrown that house in two years? So literally, we went from not being able to fathom owning that home to buying one of the bigger homes in our neighborhood. Why? Because we trusted God even when we was living in that apartment and we had a, listen, an office chair. Not office chairs. We had an office chair and a couch that, my God, was so ugly. Now, I know y'all been saved all y'all life, so y'all wouldn't understand this. But back when some of us wasn't saved, we used to go out at night. And when we went out at night and the club was dark and you had drank a little bit, people looked a certain way. And then the next morning, you was like, good googling. That's what that couch looked like. We didn't have nothing. So when somebody said, I got a couch for you, we was like, yes. And they brought it at night. And we sat in the living room. And when we came in there the next morning, we said, good googling. So we had a couch and an office chair. And people's like, why don't y'all just go buy some furniture? We like, because the money we got, the Lord asked for it. The Lord asked us for that money. And we can't go buy furniture with God's money. And so we obeyed God. We trusted God. Now, the next day, did we get new furniture? Nope. The next month, did we get new furniture? Nope. It was a while. But here's the thing. When we got the new furniture, we got the new furniture, and we got the new house. And guess what? We couldn't afford none of it. Some of that stuff was given to us. So literally what we gave to God didn't even amount to what we received from God. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you can't beat God's giving. I wish I had some real folk up in here who knew what I was talking about. Understand something. During God's earthly ministry, Jesus went to great lengths to teach and explain how money and trust was connected. 
Money and trust. He talked about that over and over again and how trusting in money always opens the door to saving influence over our life. If you trust in money, Pastor Sean said it earlier. That's why I was telling you it was so hard to sit there when she was doing it because she was literally teaching this message. She said that whenever the enemy comes after you, what does he come after? Your weakness, right? He says whatever, and, and, and the truth of the matter is we're human beings who live in the earth. Money is our weakness. It is. The only people who say money is not a weakness are people who don't have any. Zero. If you, if you own anything and you got to pay for something, that's a weak area for you, myself included. It's a weak, but, but a weakness doesn't mean you have to fail at that weakness. The Bible says that Satan will come wherever there is a weakness. That's why you have to be disciplined so that when he shows up, he doesn't show up at your place and find all the doors off the hinges. He doesn't come to your place and find your city that doesn't have any walls. You got to make sure that you are disciplined enough so that when the enemy comes, you're already ready to do battle. Amen. So Jesus spent a lot of time talking about this. In fact, we just, read, we just read in the book of Luke the parable of the unfaithful steward. It illustrates the spiritual causes and what happens when somebody is unfaithful. We talked about mammon two weeks ago, and we said that mammon was a false god. In the New Testament, if you go through and study it, Jesus actually uses the word mammon four times. And each time, he's making a reference to a Syrian god of riches. He's telling them, don't trust in this God of riches. Because remember, they, 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 were, they were polytheistic believers. They were people who believed in a multitude of gods. He says, now you're not those people anymore. Now you believe on Yahweh. You believe on the one God. He says, so don't be over here believing on the one God, but then still looking over at a man and hoping you get your needs met. Oh, that's good. Here's what happens to most people. You leave the world. And in the world, you're used to getting your needs met a certain way. You come over here to God and you forget that you're not a polytheistic needs person anymore. You don't need this man to do this and this woman to do that and mama to do this and daddy to do that and somebody to do this. and some. You now trust God. He says, and you got to be careful that you're not saying you're trusting God, but you got your eyes over here. He says, and if you're not careful, you'll find you're living this life where you say you're trusting God, but in reality, you're really trusting other people. In just a minute, I'm going to give you four things to ask yourself. And in those four things, if you're honest with yourself, you'll find out whether you've been serving mammon or not. Here, understand money is neither righteous nor unrighteous. Money is not bad. Money is not good. Money is neutral. But when mammon exerts its influence... It opposes everything that God does. And putting anyone in anything in first place instead of God really amounts to idolatry. Yes. So if money, that's the reason why I always clarify to people when people say, do you love money? If I said no, that would be a lie. I cannot lie to you. I love money. I am in love with God, though. And the truth of the matter is, you know, that's true because you can you can be in a relationship with somebody and be like, well, you know, I still I still got love for him, but I ain't no more. That, that means you have, they have descended from here to here. Ain't that right? Am I right about it? So God, I'm in love with God, but I love money because money answers some things for me. Money answers whether my kids get to get, to get school clothes. Money answers whether we get a building or not. Money answers whether you're going to live in your house, the same house, next month. Money answers all that. 
So, so money is important. It's just not more important than God. And so God was trying to get us to understand, listen, I know what you have need of. That's what he said to them. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be unto you. What are the things? Everything the money answereth. Take a neighbor and say, neighbor, God has no problem with you having money and lots of it. He doesn't, he don't have any problem with you having lots of money. That's why when people look at people, they're like, well, I can't believe Joel Olsen live in a $10 million house. God don't care about that. He don't care anything about that. What, you, know, you know what God does care about? He cares about the fact that you think that he don't have another $10 million house for you to live in. Y'all got quiet on that. He don't have a problem with Joel's $10 million house. His problem is that you don't think he got another one that you could have. He said, I'm God. I can he ain't tripping about that house. I'm not tripping about anything anybody has because I got millions more of that times millions more of that. The issue, though, is if you don't trust God and you trust on yourself, you'd be like, I don't know. I ain't no way I could ever have something like that. Ain't no way I could live like that. Ain't no way I could do that. And then the spirit of mammon gets on you and says, well, that's too much. He shouldn't have that. They shouldn't have that. If he got that much money, why he ain't helping the poor? You got $5. Why you ain't helping the poor? Because when you begin to talk about what somebody else can do with their money, you ought to ask yourself, what have you done with yours? Because the truth of the matter is, the spirit of mammon only wants to influence you to be upset at money because you can never attract what you repulse. So if you can be mad because somebody else got money, no matter how much you desire it, you would never get it. Because internally, you can't see yourself being as grotesque as them. Now, isn't that funny? You ask God to bless you, but get mad because somebody else is living where you want to live. You ought to learn to be selling. But that's what the spirit of mammon does. It wants to influence you. It wants to influence you to have wrong thinking because if you have wrong thinking, you'll have wrong living. If you are not careful, we'll get confused on this point and try to, and try to serve both spirits at the same time, which only leads to confusion because the Bible says this. It says a double-minded man is what? In what? All, he says, and let not that man think that he's going to receive what? Nada, nunca, nothing from the Lord. He's not getting anything from the Lord. Why? Because he's double-minded. He wants to be rich, but he hates rich people. It's like wanting to be healed and can't stand healing. You're not going to receive what you hate. We must be aware of how this demonic spirit operates so that we can fight against it. Understand, if we do not consciously choose to serve God, by default, we unwittingly become enslaved to the spirit of mammon. You do have a choice and you have to choose it. If you don't choose it because you live in the earth, mammon is the prevailing spirit. The Bible talks about the prince of this air. Do you know something you never have to teach kids to do? You, you don't have to teach kids to do it. You don't have to teach them to lie. Now, they may not lie, when they, but if you don't ever mention lying or telling the truth, you do not have to teach a kid to lie. It is innate in them. It is innate in them to lie. And the reason is, is because of the sin nature. And because of the sin nature of mankind, there are some things that don't have to be taught. So no one has to teach you to be stingy. 
nobody has to teach you to be selfish. That's the reason why when your two-year-old come into somebody else's house and they start grabbing stuff, you get embarrassed and be like, no, 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 you got to share. Why? Because innately in them is not the will to share. It is the will to hoard, to keep, because it's not going to be enough. Some of y'all need to grow up. Because we act like children. Oh, my God, somebody else got a job. You in the house. You know how many jobs they make? Oh, God, I can't believe she got a raise. They give out raises all over the place. You don't have to despise something that somebody else got. Amen? The spirit of mammon always leads. Watch this. The spirit of mammon always leads to the worship of material possessions. Anytime we do more to get money than we do for the kingdom of God, we are under mammon's influence. We talked about discipline, right? When you talk about discipline, here's the thing that's really hard for me to understand, but I know it's a reality because I've talked to enough people. Pastor Sean and I have had this conversation. If literally, there have been times where people have asked us, are y'all going on vacation? And when I respond, I may say, well, we're not going to go for Thanksgiving. Well, we may go for Christmas. Why? Because we don't have the money to go for Thanksgiving. What? They don't have the money to go? No, 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 no. That's not what I mean. I said I don't have the money to go for Thanksgiving. Because if I have $25,000 in this account and it's not earmarked for vacation, I don't care how bad we want to go on vacation, but we don't go. Discipline, discipline says you. That's the when people say to me, when when, when people when people say things like this to me, I have to put my money in the account so I can't get a hold to it. You are undisciplined. Hear what I'm saying? Yes, it may be good practice to put your money somewhere where you can't get to it, but that's no different than being in prison and having to listen to what the warden says. So I gotta put I gotta put my money in a place where I can't touch it because I'm so undisciplined that if I have the opportunity to get to it, I'll blow it. You undisciplined. You undisciplined. I don't care how... We had a conversation, didn't we? Amen. See, I can tell. We had a conversation, and we, we were talking about doing something, and she said, well, Strick, why can't we just do it? Blah, 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 blah. And I said, because I don't have the money for that. She said, I looked in your account, you got blah, blah, blah in your account. <laughs> I said, blah, 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 it's not earmarked for that. So I don't care how much is sitting in my account. In my account, it's not for that. And, I, and she caught herself. She's like, fine, okay. And she was mad at first, but, but, but she got it, though. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, and, and if you ask her, she'll tell you, I'm getting to that point. And she is. She's doing so much better. But, but the reality, <laughs> here, here, here's, here's the thing. I'm not going to hide my money from me. If my money has been earmarked for something, that's what it's for. And I don't care if it's sitting in my drawer. I don't care if it's in my checking account. In my sa- I'm not going to hide my money from me. I don't care where it is. As Graham said, in my shoe. If it's not earmarked for that, discipline says I don't spend it on that. And here's the thing. I can go to the mall doing dealer's biggest sale. If I got $100 to spend, that's all I'm spending. That's it. I don't need to. I don't need to talk about somebody. Gotta get me out of here. No, you don't. I can stay in here till they close, cause that ain't got nothing to do with how much I have decided to spend. That's discipline. Discipline. You don't get someplace without discipline. 
It's the reason I'm so hard on the people on my team because and Pastor Sean was, was listening to me one day and I was trying not to go off on them. But here's the thing. Two months in a row, they missed the deadline. Now, sometimes I do project management. Anybody who's done project management understand that sometimes you wait on other folks to give you pieces so that you can put your stuff together. So I give you a timeline. You think that timeline is like recommended. A timeline ain't recommended. This so there's been times that I didn't sleep for 24 hours to make a deadline. Why? Because discipline says, here's when it's supposed to be done, so you do it. People are so undisciplined. They see something new, they see something shiny, and they just go buy it. And then when the Lord asks you to give, you say, well, Lord, I don't have to give. Yeah, because you're undisciplined, just bought that thing you weren't supposed to buy. But the spirit of mammon gets on you and says, oh, I got to have something new because that what makes me feel valued. If I can get a new pair of shoes, if I can get a new dress, if I can just get this, if I can just get my hair done, if I can just get my nails done, if I can just get this new gaming system, if I can just get this new, these new rims, if I can just get this one thing, I feel so much better about myself. Only until you got to pay your bills. I've been married 23 years. I ain't never spent bill money. Not one time have I spent bill money on anything other than a bill. Don't tell me that you can't be. You know your rent due on the 15th. It, the rent don't do this. Rent don't sneak up on you. It's the same every month. How you not know your rent due? And you spending money on the 12th, talking about you're going to make it back for the 15th. If that's the case, wait to the 15th and buy what you was going to buy. It's about being disciplined. It's about being disciplined. Mammon is a hateful spirit. It's a hateful spirit. It wants, it wants to control you. The spirit of mammon wants to make you do dumb stuff. The spirit of mammon wants to make you, you got all your friends and they going on vacation. Sometimes you have to be like, yo, send me some pictures. Send me some pictures. Listen, we got some friends who make a whole lot more money than us. I mean, they, 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 went, to, they went on vacation where, where it cost them $42,000 to fill up the yacht for the week. We were like, hey, send us some pictures. <laughs> that looks cool. All right. I'm not finna spend my savings so that I can say, oh, we, we as valuable as they are. We feel like they feel. That devil is alive. And we got in that expedition, went down to Bronx and spent some family time and had a great time. But you can't live like everybody else today if you ain't got it. But the spirit of mammon, especially in northwest Arkansas, it'll make it oh golly. It'll have you trying to compete with folk you ain't got no business competing with. But what you don't even understand about those people is they live in check to check. Tyson just let out 450 people. 450 people freaking out right now. Why? Because a lot of them was living at the end of what they had. They they making $17,000 a month and spending $16.95. So you're good as long as you're making the money. But what happens when you're not? Discipline. Discipline is not about hoarding. Discipline is about honoring God in everything that you do. Because you can make a lot of money and you can spend a lot of money. But as long as you're doing it the way God said, you're good. 
But if you're living on your own out there, you don't have to be like that steward and figure out a way to make the world work for you. Mammon says that money is the answer to our problems and wants to convince us that it can give us everything that God says he can give us. The spirit influences people to do things that are outside the character. Remember she talked about character? Outside the character of God. Mammon will make you lie. Mammon will make you cheat. Mammon will make you steal. And mammon will make you compromise your character and your values. Listen, I remember years ago, there was a guy who was like, I don't know if he was like the deputy something, something at Walmart. I mean, he was way up there. He ended up losing his job because he was stealing gift cards. Honey supplies. Here's a person who rolls through the ranks who, who I'm, sure, I'm sure his bonus was several million a year. And you lose your job because you're stealing gift cards. Because you're stealing hunting equipment. Because you're being deceitful. Now, you're in your mind, you're like, why would anybody who had millions of dollars do something like that? He was being influenced by the spirit of mammon. The spirit of mammon told him he was bad enough to do it. It told him he could get away with it. It boasted his ego and said, you're so-and-so. Nobody's going to say anything to you. Look, you got away with it the first month. Keep doing it. Lost his job. His reputation in the community. For some gift cards. Mammon wants to control you. And here's the thing. Mammon won't catch you when you fall. If you're on God, if you're doing it God's way and you fall, God will catch you. Mammon won't catch you when you fall. And the same people, watch this, the same people who was probably really cool with him at the country club, flying on the corporate dread, they still living their life and ain't talking to him no more. Won't pick up the phone when he calls. You know why? Because once, you, once mammon is done with you, mammon doesn't let you have that same kind of influence anymore. So you got to be careful. You can't be this person who will rob and steal and cheat from God in order to try to look impressive in northwest Arkansas. The square footage on your house has nothing to do with who you are as a person. The neighborhood that you live in has nothing to do with you as a person. Do you, people talk about schools in Northwest Arkansas. Do you know if you do a perceptual survey of each individual school, the people who send their kids to that school are satisfied with that school? Right. Now think about that. Think about that for a minute. They go, oh, you want to live in Bentonville, or you want to live in Rogers, you want to go to this school in Fayetteville, you want to go to this school in Springdale. But if you ask the actual people who send their kids to school there with those individual teachers, they are satisfied with that school. So what does the spirit of mammon come in at? Because if I can make a particular school look better than the others, then I can raise the real estate prices for the houses in that area. The spirit of mammon says if I can get them to build more houses over here and I can charge more for the houses, they'll send their kids here. And then the next thing we need to do is now get another school. They say they're the best school now. And once that school say they're the best school, we can do the same thing over here. The spirit of mammon is involved in all of that. Who in here went to private school all your life? Now look around, one person. Now, if indeed private schools are so much better than public schools, she's the only one in here worthy of anything. <laughs> so this whole idea that somehow a particular school is so much better, it's the value of the teacher in that classroom. And you can be at a great school and have a lousy teacher. 
But the spirit of mammon wants to influence those decisions because it's about making money. Mammon wants to use us to get us to exploit other people. Listen, if you get, if, 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 if the spirit of mammon rules your life, you will do shady things to people and you will justify it as trying to make money. You want to find two of the crookedest people sometimes? Get two Christians involved in the business deal. That's sad, ain't it? Ain't that sad? Ain't that sad? You get two Christians, get two Christians involved in a business deal and put millions of dollars on the table. They are eat each other alive. I mean, they will devour one another. They'll lie on each other. They'll steal. They'll withhold information. They'll cheat. Why? Because of money. When in reality, it's enough for both of them to make a living off of. It's about character and integrity. Listen, we must put our trust, we must not put our trust in money. We must realize that the lying spirit of mammon is always trying to influence us. It's always trying to influence us. When we learn, we can learn a, we can learn a lot about, about somebody, about how they handle money. We talked about the one with the, with, with, with the, who gave the widow's mite. If you look and see, you can talk to people and you can see how they handle money, and, and, and it tells you a lot about them as a person. Pastor Tony said this to me years ago, and I always remember. He said, people respond to money, how they saw it come in and out of their life as a child. Think about that for a minute. If you grew up in a family and your family just spent money a lot, just like with reckless abandon, even if y'all didn't have it, that's kind of the, that's kind of the mindset you get about money. If, 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 if in your family, when things were going bad, somebody bought something, you grew up and did the same thing. If, 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 if when you didn't have a, a, enough, some, some, somebody borrowed something or put something on layaway or did something to get something, then you end up living your life the same way. However you saw money come in and out of your life is how you see it. Now, here's the one good thing about it. If you grew up and you saw people deal with money in its right way, you don't ever really get tied to money. You don't get tied to it in the sense that, oh my God, I'll do anything for it. Because you just kind of grow with this idea that money's always there. But you still have to learn to be disciplined or, you, or, or just because your parents had money don't mean you will. That's right. So you still have to learn to be disciplined. So what we, we had a conversation with our kids one time and not, they were a little younger, not much in the way what they were, because Pastor and I were talking and she said, here's the problem. She said, the problem is your kids think you're rich. And I said, oh, no, they don't think we're rich. They live here, don't they? Surely they don't think we're rich. And I got to talking to them, and in their mind, they did. Why? Because what they don't hear us say is, we don't have enough money to do that. What they hear us say is, well, we have to figure out how to do it. So if, so if your language is not, well, we ain't got no money for that. Don't be asking me for nothing when we go in this store. Can I ride to the store with you? No, because you're always asking for something. If you do that, I get why you do it, the frustration of I don't have enough and they're going to ask somebody I can't give them, but it's much better to say, not today, we, we can figure out how we're going to do that. That is, the kind of, that is the thing that doesn't allow mammon to rule over your life because literally what you're saying is I'm putting my dependence on God. Can I see that book in, 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 in there? So Pashon's been reading this book and she showed me something the other day and I marked it. I want to read it to you real quick. This book is called The Wisdom of Wealth, huh? I didn't mark because I know you don't like marking. That's why I just put that there. That's all I did. Look, I did, I did not mark in your book. 
Right. I, I, I put a place marker in your book. Okay. In Pastor Sean's book that I did not put a mark in, it says this. It says, put not your trust in noble men, nor in the son of man. It begins to talk about perspective. It says, a second perspective on the importance of financial self-sufficiency focuses on the inherent value of being self-sufficient. It says, instead of the negative consequences of failing to maintain it, it says self-sufficiency, listen to this, enables a person to develop spiritually because he achieves a greater trust in God than does a person who relies on other people. It says if a person does not accept support from other people, then he can rely only on God to provide for him. In contrast, relying on others detracts us from the dependencies of, of God and consequently from the trust in God. So literally, here's what he says. The whole reason God asks you to trust him where your money is concerned is so he can make you self-sufficient. Because if he can make you self-sufficient, you have no need to be dependent on anybody else. Somebody can't manipulate you. They can't trick you into doing something because your trust is on God. He says, but if you are a person who sees people as your resource as opposed to God, then you are always going to be subject to not trusting God when you have to because you have practiced depending on other people. Now, I want to give you these four things. I'll come back to the rest of this another time. But I want to give you these four things, these four questions. The Bible says this in Proverbs 22 and 7, which I think is important. It says, the rich rules over the poor. And the borrower is always subject to the lender. Now, if God didn't want, now th just, just think about this logically. God doesn't want you in bondage, right? He then has his word to say, the rich ruleth over the poor. The borrower is what? Servant to the lender. If God didn't want you in bondage, he didn't want you to be a servant. That means he doesn't want you to be in bondage to the lender. If he didn't want you to be in bondage to the lender, he must want you to be the lender. So God ain't got no problem with you having money. He wants you to be the lender. In, 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 the, in Hebrew, it's, it's called doing a mitzvah, Do, doing a, being a blessing. God, God says we should be doing mitzvahs every day. Literally, that we should be blessing people. We should have so much wealth, we should be blessing people every day. So here are these, uh, I got all these, I'll talk about them next week because one of the things I, I, that I need to hit on I just said real briefly, we'll come back next week, is that mammon breeds discontent. Hear me when I say that. Mammon breeds discontent. If the spirit of mammon is on your life, it doesn't matter how many new pair of red bottoms you get. It'll breed, it, it, you. Mammon makes you insatiable. If you get a new house, mammon says you need a bigger one. If you get a, a, a fishing boat, mammon says you need a yacht. If you get a yacht, mammon says you need a super yacht. And if you get a super yacht, mammon says now you need a helicopter on the yacht. And then you need a plane to get to the yacht because you live in Arkansas and you ain't got nowhere to dock it. <laughs> now, nothing wrong with those things inherently. What's wrong is that you become discontent in what you have. Do you know how many people right now would trade lives with you today? 
I mean, they'll take your name, your social security number, your bad credit, everything you think you got, they will switch with you in a heartbeat. They would change everything. They would change everything with you. But if you're, and being content doesn't mean, well, I got a car, so I'm not going to worry about it. You know, I don't know how long these tires going to last, but I got tires. No, that's, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is a, a contentment that says, God, I'm thankful for where I am, and I know that as long as I walk with you, I'm going to keep going higher. And, I, and, and watch this. I ain't got to put a timetable on you, God. I know that as I do what I'm supposed to do, I can't help but get elevated. So mammon breeds this, 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 this spirit of discontent. But God teaches us that we are supposed to be content in every situation. All right, let me get to these. Oh, I want to ask you these four questions. Man, there's some good stuff in here. I'll come back to this next week. Um, mm. All right. So here are the four questions, okay? Now, now, now look, when I ask you these, don't you turn and look at your neighbor. This ain't got nothing to do with your neighbor, all right? Yeah. You catch them looking at you, just, just stiff arm their face right back. Just, no, don't look at me. Just look, don't look at me. These questions are for you. These questions are four, there are four questions uh, that as I was preparing this message and talking to God and doing those things and trying to get prepared and you know, wanting to be a teacher, these are, these are the four questions that I came up with to assess, that you can use to assess in yourself if the spirit of mammon is influencing you, okay? Number one, in times of trouble, do you look to God or people first? The key word there is first. In times of trouble, do you look to God or do you look to people first? In many cases, people rely on God when they have run out, run out of human options. That is backwards. There may be times that God instructs you to go to somebody, but more often times than not, God speaks to the other person to be a blessing to you. So when I see people do things like, oh, does anybody want to bless me? I need to go on vacation this week. I'm like, nope, I don't. Well, well the Lord will tell me. The Lord tells me who to bless, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm quick to bless them. But you can't run around uh, bargain shopping blessings. Amen? Even the idea of that is rooted in mammon. Because the idea is it's not going to happen unless I get people to do it. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, I don't need people to do for me what the Lord has already done. Now the question becomes, do you believe he's already done it? And that, so that, that's, that's the question, whether you're being influenced by, by, by God or by men. Number two, when things go bad, do I blame others for my present circumstances? When things go bad, do I blame others for my present circumstances? Am I justifying that I'm in this situation because of somebody else. Come on. Is that one of the first things that I do? 
Did I buy somebody a meal? And three weeks later, I don't have enough to buy gas, and so I was thinking I should have said that seven dollars. That's 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 real. He and when it happens, that's how you know you never really gave it. Because what you give, you don't remember. Because I've I've heard people say things like that before. You know, as a pastor, you hear all kinds of stuff. People are like, well, you know, I should have never gave you know that money to the church. I'm like, well, what did you give them? I, I gave a thousand dollars. Okay. Did you? What, what, oh, oh no, that was ninety four. Right. Wait. <laughs> wait. 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 You gave a thousand dollars in 1994. It's 2017, and you think that's affecting you not paying your rent now? What's affecting you is that you never let that thousand dollars go in 1994, and it's been blocking you ever since. Number three, when I am in a bad situation and people fail to help me in the way I wanted them to help me, do I get angry and upset? <laughs> when, when you're in a bad situation and people fail to help you in the way that you wanted help, do you get angry or upset? When you ask to borrow $500 and they say to you, I have $500, but if I let you borrow it, I need you to meet with me for four consecutive weeks so that we can help get you a budget. Well, looking at my money and thinking about what I'm going to do, talking about my money, it's my money you're asking for. If you ask me for my money, I got the right to put any circumstances on it I want to. So, <laughs> so the spirit of mammon controls your life when you think somebody has to help you in the way that you wanted help because now you're like, well, is you going to give me the money or not? You know my response, not. <laughs> or, or somebody wants to borrow money and they say, hey, can I borrow money? And you go, yeah, what do you need it for? Oh, man, you got to be asking all them questions. See, y'all don't believe that, but there are people, there are people who have asked FOC for money. And I say, well, okay, what do you need the money for? I, I got to act like that about it. Wait a minute. You're asking for the church's benevolence, and you're telling me I can't ask you what it's for? Then go on then. When people, sometimes the help that you need it's not the money. Because if I give you $500 this month and you don't change your behavior, you're going to be back here next month. So I don't give you the help that you need. And so because I don't give you the help that you need, then you get offended. People leave churches over stuff like that. Can I just help you just for a second? Because y'all don't know all this because y'all get to live in la-la land and not deal with the business part of this. It'd be the very folk who don't tithe. I'm not trying to be funny. 
Do you know what's amazing that I have found out over these 19 years that we've been doing this, 17 years, whatever we've been, we've been doing this? People who are faithful in their tithe almost never ask for benevolence. All right, now look, I know I've, I know I've had a couple stat classes, not a lot, but they call that correlation. Right. Tithing leads to not needing benevolence. Not tithing needs to needing lots of benevolence. It's amazing. And so I talked to my pastor friends, and I'm like, hey, how do y'all handle benevolence? I said, because if it wasn't for other people who come and ask, and I don't know how people even get our names sometimes, but if it wasn't for other people asking, a lot of times our benevolence would just sit there. But praise the Lord, except for the non-tithers. Because then they have to come and get the benevolence that the tithers pay. And then they have the nerve to say, all the churches want is your money. No, all you want is our money. Listen, I'm six foot three, 240 pounds. I ain't scared of none of y'all. The truth of the matter is we got to tell people the truth. And the truth is if that the church could be extremely healthy if everybody just did their small part. Then we really could be a blessing to the community. So listen. If you in this church and you go and you ask somebody for money and they can't help you, do not get mad at them. First of all, your dependency ought to be on God. Not on somebody else because you count how much money they make. Amen, somebody. You know folks don't discuss how much money they make because they don't want folks to ask them for something? <laughs> that's the truth. That, that's, that's really true. People pick, listen, people think that it's, it's uh, what they call it is it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not decent to discuss your salary. You discuss all kind of indecent things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you discuss all kind of, in public venues, you discuss all kind of indecent things. Let's just tell it like a T.I. is. And the truth is, you don't want nobody to know how much you make because you don't want nobody to count your coins because they might come and ask you for a dollar. Now, I ain't got no problem giving folks something if the Lord says so, but I got every right to ask you what you're doing with your money. Yeah. And so if you don't want to know that, then don't ask me, because I'm going to ask. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm going to ask. I don't care if it's $100, dollars $1,000, $5,000, I don't care. If I'm giving you, I want to know what you're doing. Because my, my, my question is, why don't you have? Especially if you're a member of this church, because there's enough teaching that I know you should be having. So I'm like, why don't you have? And if you don't have, I want to help you to have. And not that I want to say no to you, but I don't want to keep saying yes to you. And that's the difference. That's the difference. Pastor, I'm going to be like, I'm crazy. When I do it. But that, I, that's the truth. Let me move on. <laughs> the last one. Number four. Here's how you know whether you're being controlled by the spirit of mammon. Do you often have fleeting thoughts of Will I ever have enough? Do you often have those thoughts? Will I ever have enough? If you find yourself asking things like, when am I going to stop struggling? You are being influenced by the spirit of man. Because the spirit of God will tell you, you already got enough. It'll all, listen, when you are in wonder about whether you're going to have enough, if you are in wonder about how resources are going to come in, you literally close off what God wants to do in your life. You close it, you close it off. 
So you got to get to the place where you're not having those kind of thoughts. I've said this before. If you'll change your thinking, what'll happen? You'll change your life. But most people are not metacognitive. They don't spend time studying their thinking. They don't think about their thinking. And because they don't think about their thinking, they never spend time going, why do I spend so much time thinking about stuff? Because I'm preoccupied by the spirit of mammon. Your life is not the sum total of the things that you own. Do you know a Louis Vuitton shirt where it wears just like a shirt from Walmart? Now, don't get me wrong. I understand quality. I understand branding. I understand all that. Listen, but if you're making $10 an hour, Louis Vuitton is not the brand for you. I'm not even trying to be funny. And she puts it on her Facebook page all the time so I can say that. Kathleen talk, she prides herself in having these fly outfits for like under $15. I mean, and I see people liking it all the time. Why? Because it, it, because it's not even about where she gets it from or how much she spends. It's, it's when she puts it on, what does it look like? But then you got other folks who spend it, they check. They spend and they they check. They work two weeks for an outfit. And then you step on their shoes and they pull out a gun on you. Because you done scuffed up their shoes. It's about this whole idea of saying, you know what, we can't keep living like this. The spirit of mammon can't be controlling our lives, amen? Listen, I'll stop here. Next week, it's 1155. Next week, I'm going to give you the five things that we can do to maintain our freedom from it. Because those are just the four questions you ought to ask yourself this week. And those are the things you ought to be checking on this week. You ought to be checking on, che- checking on yourself. Now, listen, I, I can give them to you, but you can't be sitting there restless. Now, it's 1155. We can go home and eat. Now, look, now I'll be rushing my teaching. Calm down. Y'all, y'all this interested, I'm going to give them to you. <laughs> right, y'all this interested, I'm going to give them to you. All right, here are the five things you have to do to maintain your freedom from mammon, because you're all free, but you got to do it to maintain. Number one, you got to trust God and acknowledge that he owns everything. You got to trust God and acknowledge that he owns everything. My wife and I said this for years. God owns everything. We own nothing. Therefore, whenever God asked us to give something, it wasn't hard because it didn't belong to us. We had no vested interest. We were just stewards. And as a steward, he let us enjoy some of the fruits of his labor. But there were other times he wanted us to do other things with his money, so we did it. You got to trust God and acknowledge that he owns everything. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. The second one is you got to stop being wise in your own eyes. You have to stop being wise in your own eyes. You got to stop being the smartest person in your head. Because that's the problem for a lot of people. You have these deep conversations in your head, and you sound brilliant (laughs) to yourself. You sound brilliant. 
and you know it's true. You ever thought something and then you said it out loud and you was like, that's dumb. <laughs> you got to stop being wise in your own eyes. Proverbs 3, 7 and 8. When we talk about the reverential fear of the Lord, we're talking about being respectful of God and his power and authority and position, not that we're afraid of God. Number three, you got to make the choice. It is a choice to honor the Lord with your substance and your increase. You have to honor the Lord with your substance and your increase. You asking God to fill up your barn, but you ain't built the barn yet. You want God to stuff it full of stuff, but he ain't got nowhere to put it. Because you won't honor the Lord with your stuff. You got to honor the Lord with your substance. Some of you need to, some of you need to go home and you need to figure out. I know we, we talk about not cutting back, but we, some of you need to go home and figure where you can cut some of your waste. If you're not able to tithe, if you're not able to be a consistent giver, you ought to give the Lord the last quarter of this year and say, okay, if I do this, I want to see. Sometimes you just, I don't know about you. I was always willing to go, okay, God, I'll put your reputation on the line then. You say you're going to do this? I'll give you 90 days. I'll be, I'm going to be more than, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to be disciplined for 90 days and see what happens. God ain't no punk. He ain't going to let you beat him. He never has. You have to honor the Lord with your substance. Listen, I, I was talking to, to Taylor, and, and we, were, we, were, we were talking about, because, because she's grown up in the house, she's, Taylor's always been a tither. And I was like, okay, now you're making a little more money. Not a lot of money, but it's more money than you've ever made. You got to be consistent in your tithe. You can't be like, oh, well, now I got to give $200 when I was giving $2. Like, like look, you got to be as consistent now as you were when we was giving you $20 a week and you was happy to give that $2. You can't see that as a loss. And if you don't see it as a loss, you will never miss it. And the truth of it ain't yours anyway. It's God's. You Go back to what I said before. God owns and you own, you're just a steward. So if God says you give him 10%, you don't get to decide whether you're going to do it or not. So you got to honor the Lord with your substance. And you can't see giving to God as grievous. You can't see giving to God as grievous. You know, we, you, you, you can't, and it's so funny sometimes, people will take their money and ball it up and give it in the offering. Why would you ball your money up? The reality of it is, it's, but, but here's the thing, and people don't think this is, this is the truth. I've, I've advocated it for years. I can look in your wallet and see how you treat your money and determine now what you think about it. I bet you don't ball your $100 bills up. So if you ball up your one and your five, you don't see your ones and your five as valuable. And because you don't see your ones and your fives as valuable, that's the reason why you always end with ones and fives. I've said this before. You can go to U.S. Treasury and look it up. You can Google it when I get through. There are more $100 bills in circulation than there are ones. Wait a minute. How is that true? Because a lot of us got the ones. Make this confess. Say, I declare, I, declare I, will not I will not be a hoarder, be a hoarder of ones. Of ones. 
Number four, let me get through. Number four. It's 1201, let me get through. Number four. Number four comes from Proverbs 3.13. Here's what it says. I'm just going to read it. It says, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gets understanding. So number four is you got to seek wisdom and then seek understanding with it. What the Lord told me and Pastor Sean to do may not be what he told you to do. But he's not going to tell you to do something that's not in his word. So here's what's not going to happen. You're not going to come to me and say, hey, I was having a conversation with the Lord, and he was like, well, look, this is what I told Edwin and Sean to do, but what I'm telling you to do is don't tithe. That's not what he's going to say. He, he, he's not going to tell me to obey his word and tell you you can disobey it. That ain't going to happen. Now, he may not ever ask you for your last. He may ask us for our last because he knew a destination we needed to go, and in order to get there, our seed had to be big enough to get us there. He may not ever ask you for that, but he's already told everybody what, what, he, what belongs to him. And then you honor him and you love him out of your giving. So number four, you got to find wisdom. you got to get understanding. And then number five is Proverbs 3.27. And here's what it says. It says, withhold not good from them to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. So number five, do right by people. Where your money is concerned. Do right by people where your money is concerned. If it's in your power to help, help. That doesn't always mean rescuing people, though. My brother and I have a good relationship now. We struggled for years. And for years, my brother and I struggled because he used to make me feel really guilty about the fact that I was what he called successful. But I took me, it took me time to realize he had the same opportunities that I had. He just made different choices. And that he didn't have the right to make me feel guilty when he asked me for something where he had squandered his. And for years, I used to give it to him. But I just got to the place where I said, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. And I felt bad for it for a little while because here's what people say, and especially in our community, that's family. That's what they get you with. That's, that's family. I read a quote one time that said, family is who you choose to do life with. Set me free. Set me totally free. Family is who you choose to do life with. And so, and so now we have a great relationship because he knows. He, 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 we had a conversation the other day. I think we talked about 30 minutes. And, and my brother's my brother wonderful. I love him, but he changed. I don't ever save his number because he changed phone numbers every month too. So he he just lived like that. He like every month so. So when I get this new number, I'm like hello. And, and then I know it's him because he, he started like he said the same thing. He said, "Hey, little bro." I'm like, "All right, what's up, kid?" But he don't ask me for money anymore because he knows that if he asks me for money, I'm gonna say, "Are you tithing yet?" He don't even say tithing. He say tithing. He said, little bro, you still tiding? Yep, I'm still tiding. It's true. I love my brother. He knows we joke about it all the time. (laughs) I'm like, yep, I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it. And I'm going to keep doing it. And I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. And it's so funny because he knows he should do it. And he was like, yeah, I'm about to get into that one of these days. I'm like, you know that I'm 45, you 47. When is this one day going to be? 
So, yeah, when it's in your power to do good, do it. But I'm not asking you to rescue people and save people. Sometimes the Lord will tell you not to help them. And that's hard, especially if you want to help them. There are times the Lord will say, no, don't do it. And the reason he's telling you not to do it is not because he's being mean. It's because he wants to get them to rely on him. That he's trying to, because to, that's different than if, if we go out to eat and I buy Tamara something to eat. They ain't, they ain't the same thing. But, but, but if, if somebody keep needing to be rescued out of these financial situations and you just keep rescuing them, you're actually doing them more harm because you're becoming their God. You're becoming their God because they, they don't have to trust God. They just got to depend on you. It's funny, early on, Pastor Sean used to pray all the time, and she'll tell you, she used to pray that I got raises. But she didn't pray I got raises for me. <laughs> that, it, no, it really, you do now, but it's from a different place, is it not? See? Her prayer, her prayer wasn't that she would, I was like, Sean, you can make money, you got skills, you got talents, you can do all kinds of things. The same stuff you're telling everybody else to do, you can do that for you. She's like, yeah, I just prayed you get a raise. <laughs> but now she's like, hey, I pray that you get a raise because you deserve it. And I pray that my speaking engagements do this, my books do this, my, my everything, my, my events do this. And now she, it's like, it's not just, oh, I'm depending on Edwin to make more money so we can have more money. She fully knows she can make more money than me if she wanted to. And that's how you got to get, you got to get, you got to stop depending on other people, even your spouses. Don't depend on them to make more money. You make more money. Pray the Lord increase you. Because the same God who will increase them is the same God who will increase you. And watch this. What you make happen for somebody else, God will make happen for you. Amen. So it just becomes secular. Amen? Amen. All right. We'll finish this up next week. Come on. Stand to your feet.